0: I want to tell you a story about a couple that, at the age of 25, it's not about the couple, but this particular couple, at the age of 25, with a one-year-old and a three-year-old, decided that they were called to the mission field. So they looked up where they should go, they wanted to to go somewhere, one of the poorest countries in the world, so they decided to go to Botswana, just in southern Africa. The mission organisation that was sending them didn't know anyone that had been to Botswana um, at this stage, um, no internet, and, uh, but they managed to find a lecturer in Adelaide. And uh, so one of the couple went over to Adelaide to, to find out about what on earth they were getting into. So they took a one-year-old and a three-year-old to the middle of southern Africa, expecting a third, by the way, um, at the time. A um, little bit crazy, I would say, I would suggest. Um, And uh, they spent six and a half years there, and had had a fourth child while they were over there. This is my mum and dad. This is this is me and uh, my family, um, the four kids in my family. And after nearly seven years in Southern Africa, we came back to Australia, and. uh, I was institutionalised, <laughs> I discovered what it was to be going to school for the first time in grade three, and, uh, and uh, went to uh, a Catholic primary school in Karamburra, where uh, for four years I, I learnt all the, the right things to say and to do, I, uh, I learnt about nuns, Sister Julie freaked me out, it freaked everybody out. Uh, you speak to anyone that went to St. Joseph's at the time that I went to St. Joseph's. If you, were, if you were asked to do the prayers of the faithful at Mass, um, you, uh, you had to go to Sister Julie and read out what, it was pre-written for you, but you had to read out what was pre-written for you and she wanted to make sure you pronounced every word correctly, especially God. It ends with a D and Sister Julie was scary. And so, uh, and so I, I learnt all the, 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 the routine. Every Friday we went to Mass in primary school. That was, that was what happened Friday morning. We went through, you know, the right words, standing up, sitting down, kneeling, you know, sign of the cross, all the, all the rituals. And we, um, as a family, we attended uh, a uniting church in Karanbarra and, uh, and journeyed through that through high school as well, went to Karanbarra Secondary College. And we used to have a name for, for the back half of the church, all the old people would sit in the back half of, the, ch- of, of, of my, the church growing up. We called them the Pew Rodders. You can kind of, yeah, it's different to this church. They all, a lot of them came from the old nursing home. They'd been going there forever. Actually, one, one day was, uh, was quite funny because we'd had a, um, a Bible read-a-thon. So we're raising money for some mission field and, um, and, and we decided we'd read the Bible from start to finish as a youth group. Um, so we'd cross off the books as someone to read it. And so we'd spent all night doing this. And Sunday morning came and went, hey, what? You know what? Church starts at 10. They rock up to get their seats at 9.30. We could pinch their seats. That'd be awesome. In our sleeping bags and stuff, which, you know, wasn't, wasn't particularly kosher in that church. And the looks we got, we, were, we thought were pretty cool, getting these looks from the old people sitting up the back, the, the pew runners, stirring them up a bit, mixing them around. So we thought that was pretty cool. Then when I went to uni, um, went to a church that my brother was going to, he had a contact there and went to a church and, and that's where I met Tanya. And uh, as I say, the rest is history. But spent, spent a number of years at that church and um, invested a lot of effort into that church. Um, and the church started to fade, started to decline. By the time that we were looking at moving out to officer, there would have been, oh, when I joined, there would have been maybe, what do we say, 150, probably, close to 200. And by the time uh, we, were, we were heading out this way, we would have been down to about 20. Uh, our Tanya and myself and the pastor and his wife were really the ones putting the effort into the church. That was the the other of the 20 were kind of, I would say, riding the wave, if that makes sense to you. And so, uh, so every Sunday morning, I was the worship team. And I did have one of my youth group kids um, who'd moved to another church, come back once a month to play keyboards with me. That was very generous of him. I yeah, have a special spot for Luke. But, um, but yeah, it whittled down to about 20. And at this point in the story, I was a pretty angry, frustrated person. I'd experienced three different church environments. I know that's not a high number, but three fairly different church environments. And I was at the point of going, God, what's going on? What's with people? I love you, but people? I don't know whether I like people. And in my frustration, I thought, you know what? I could write a book, 10 Things I Hate About Christians. Now, I wouldn't write a book. I'm not... But only ten, <laughs> and I could look back at the things of you know my Catholic and my Uniting Church and the, the, the Baptist Church that I was going to. I was like, I could I could write a book. I'd, it'd be a good book. It'd be a good. It'd be a good seller. I get a lot of people would buy that book. Um, it's a catchy name, play on the movie, and and it'd be and, and I'd be able to vent my frustrations. I was I was angry. I was frustrated, and I was angry. Unfortunately, God met me in that place. Fortunately, I'll say, but it wasn't a comfortable place to be. And I had a mini road to Damascus experience. And God said to me, What? Don't you love me? I went, No, no, no. I love you, God. But people, I don't know about them. And He said, Well, it's my church how can you not love my church? And I started writing the list. I said, well, let's go through the 10 things I had about Christians. So it's an easy list to write. And there's this verse, this, this passage, a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. In Matthew 16, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say... and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, we will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The, um, the Catholics, when you, grow, when you go to Catholic school, you learn that um, Peter is the first pope, and the, the succession of popes come after that. Um, that's uh, that's good Catholic teaching. Um, it's actually a little bit ambiguous in terms of the sentence structure whether Jesus is talking about Peter because he's got a play on words. Peter means rock, and so he's got this play on words about Peter being a rock. But it's a different word. It's a small rock versus a big rock. So you know the the story of the the house that's built on the rock. Well, the second one is that, whereas the first one is like a small stone. So he's got a play on words, but. But it's ambiguous whether it's talking about you are the Messiah, the son of the living God is the rock, or whether it's Peter is the rock. So there's a bit of a play. But often in amongst the debate and the, you know, what, what do I get out of it? I get some keys, apparently. That's pretty cool. In amongst that is I will build my church. I will build my church. And in my journey, I'd separated the church from the builder. I got frustrated and irritated at the church. And we often refer to the church in many ways and, and sometimes when I jot notes um, in, in the weekly email, you'll see me refer to the church. Um, and, and we create the church to be an organisation and we create it to be denominations. And then we, as people, we tend to like dividing stuff up. We like to put things in the boxes and categorising them. The church is a really simple word being the called out ones. So there's really only, in in Scripture sense, two churches. There's the global church, everyone that's called out, everyone that's a follower of Jesus, and there is a local church, as in those that gather. Everywhere that Christians gather, followers of Jesus gather, is the church. And that's where you have the church at Corinth, is that those that were gathering together at Corinth, it made sense. So they're really the only two biblical senses of church. And so quite often you say, oh, I think the church should be doing this or I think the church would be doing that. And I go, well, wh- what are you talking about? Which, which, what, what's your definition of church? Because biblically, I think there's only two. And the first thing Jesus corrected me on was that the church is his bride. Now, I was hoping um, Joel or, or John were here who have brides. And I was going to suggest to them, what would their response be if I went up to them and said, I'm going to write a book about 10 things I had about your bride? What do you think the response I'd get would be? (laughs) Exactly. It's a good thing they're not here. Yeah. Yeah. I think your bride is a waste of space. I'm frustrated with her. (laughs) That's <laughs> your sister, that's right. I might get a he might give me a clip over the years in a minute. so um, it changes things completely, and in that in that moment i I had some repentance to do. I had a tough place to be because I'm not saying this morning that that the bride's perfect, and I don't think Joel or. Or, or John in their blissful state of mind that they're in at the moment, would, would, it, would tr- say that their, their brides are perfect. But they value their brides. They've chosen to invest the rest of their life into their brides. That's something they've committed their life to. And so when I come along and I say to the groom, I hate your bride, it's a tough thing to say. And it's a tough thing to hear and I'm so glad that, that Jesus has broad shoulders because I deserved a smack across the face for, for having that perspective of his bride. In 2 Corinthians 11, it says, um, this is Paul saying, I hope you will put up with me in my little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you, to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. There's, there's an intimacy and Paul is out there preparing the way, building the church, helping Christ build the church, the bride, the bride of Christ. And in Ephesians 5, we hear this story about wives submitting to husbands as Christ submits to the church. Husbands love, sorry, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. It says further down, for it's a profound mystery. For this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It's a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. The church is his bride. But hang on, Jesus. Hang on. This is I'm, I'm a debater. I like working through things in my head. I'm not talking about the church that you created at the beginning in, in, that we read in scriptures. I'm talking about now. If we, were, if we were in New Testament times, you know what I'm talking about, don't you, Daniel? <laughs> if we were in New Testament times, it'd be different. I want the New Testament church. It's like So which New Testament church is that? Is that the one that struggled to divide up food between those that needed it? Is that the one at Corinth who had power struggles between Paul and Apollos? Is that the one in Galatia who who struggled with false doctrine? Uh, Is it the one in Laodicea who who had become lukewarm? Which which New Testament church are you talking about, That this perfect New Testament church? It's like, no, 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 it's the Acts 2 church. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the church that I want to be. Oh, did you read the bit before that? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And they met every day. Ooh, hang on. Maybe I don't want that church. Sounds a bit harder now. As people, we tend to to put things into boxes and categorise them, as I said before. And I was suffering from that. I'd looked at the weaknesses and failings of people and I decided it was a waste of time and a waste of space. And God said, It's my bride. He said, It doesn't make sense to you, but then it'll never make sense to you if you don't understand the way I do things. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, "Instead, God chose the things of the world, consider, the, the things the world considers foolish, in order to shame those who think they are wise. And He chose things that the powerless, things that are powerless, to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God." It doesn't make sense to send the Son of God as an infant. It doesn't make sense that God should kill his son as a sacrifice. It doesn't make sense to entrust that message to us. But like really, who am I that that message has been, that gospel message has been entrusted to? It doesn't make sense. It's a stupid idea. But that's in my limited thinking. That's in my foolish ways that I think that. That's the way God's chosen to do it. That's the way he operates. And we're all the fruit of that. When he said, I will build my church, the only reason we're sitting here today or standing here today is because he's building his church. 2,000 years later, that thing that doesn't make sense, I'm the fruit of. You're the fruit of. So it might not make sense, it might not look like the people that he's entrusted to are really worthy of it, but boy, he has invested eternity in this, in this picture. There is no plan B. He said, I will build my church, and that's what he's doing. And God had to point out a few things to me. He said, you know that Catholic school that you went to? You know, oh, well, those Catholics, or oh, that's a brand that we can't accept, He said, where did you get your heart from worship? Sister Teresa, in grade four and five. When did you actually choose to make a commitment to me? Mr. Speakman, grade six, who was studying the apostles. I went, I want to be like them. I want to choose to follow like they chose to follow. Sounds like I was building, doesn't it? Sounds like I was doing something there. And how did you get through high school Maintain your faith and grow and, and have a whole heap of experiences. Oh, that was because of youth group and because and of the opportunities and you tend to lead and to get, have a go. They gave me a go. Even if the back half were, looked like they were half dead. I had an opportunity. And then, you know that church of, of 20? How did, you, how did you learn about my spirit and about Prophecy. It was through those losers, those people that you hate, that you want to put down and say that you've got nothing good for. Where did you learn all that stuff? Where did you grow? Where did you get a chance at leadership and, and continue just to, to learn? And who gave you grace and mercy and showed you what it was to live in community? Did they do all right with your wife? They, they taught her and grew her up too. It's not a bad effort to be able to nurture someone that you want to spend your life with. That's the church that you're bagging. You're looking at the things that that the world looks at, the weaknesses and the the things that, that pull people down. I don't see it that way. I didn't make a mistake calling the church as my bride. I didn't stuff it up. It's not a stupid choice. Look at yourself. Look at who you are. Look at what I've taught you and what, what you've grown in. It's not a waste of time. They're not a wasted case or a waste of people. They're my bride. They're my body. And they're worth it. So I was stuck because I knew he was right. And this was my response. John 6, it says, Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? There were a number of people that had left under the, under the pressure. Um, things were getting tough. Things were looking like they were going south. And they were. He was going to die. He said, Are you going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. So I'm in a position where I know the truth. God's revealed to me who he is. He's revealed to me his action plan. Where else is there to go but to the church, his bride? What is there else to devote my life to? What else is there, what else is there that I can sow into than into what God's sowing into, what, the way he's chosen to do it? as crazy and as stupid as it sounds to me, if that's his action plan, then where else there is there to go? There is no other option. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. We are, we've, this passage is something that, that won't be um, foreign to you. Ephesians 4 says, So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor and the teachers to equip his people. And often we stop there. Because of course, as I said before, we like to divide things up. So let's, everyone, put a label on. Come on, which one are you? Um, We like to divide and compare and measure. But it's kind of like, I enjoy cameras, and it's kind of like me buying a camera and telling you about, it's got a nice wide angle lens and, it's 24 megapixel, got 64 gig of RAM in it, and what are you going to do with it? Oh, I haven't thought that far. It's just data; it means nothing. If we don't look at what what we're going to do with the camera, I'm telling you all about its stats is useless. And it's the same with this. If we just look at the labels and don't know what we're doing with these things, it's kind of useless. The verse goes on to say so Christ gave himself himself gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of god and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ then we will no longer be infants this is the picture of where the church is going. As pretty or as ugly as it feels on the ground, this is the heart of what Jesus is doing. It's not about hierarchy. It's not about status. The themes here are of love, of unity, of maturity, of growth, of standing firm in a world that's running rampant, being the light into that world. And at that point, when Jesus arrested me for the way I was thinking, this, I believe, is my mandate. I believe it's our mandate. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere else to be. Church is the body of Christ, with Christ as the head. And, and I've had people, I had a, a client ask me what I did on the weekend, and I'm very open about what I, what I spend my time doing. And he said, boy, I hope religion's good for you, or good to you. I hope religion's good to you. You spend your whole weekends, you know. And I remember when I, was, when I was a bit younger, we went to church on a Sunday morning. And, um, and we also then went, we, we, it was a smallish church, well, the, the one I was telling you about before. And, and so of an evening, we used to go out to, um, to visit one of the bigger churches. we kind of sneak in the back door because you can in a big church. Um, and you you can just worship and hear good words. And, And I remember someone saying to me, you went to church twice on Sunday? Haven't you fulfilled your obligation the first time? Like, why would you choose to do it again? And it's no. The church is the bride. The church is the body. The church is what Jesus has chosen to be his body on earth. So I will love the church. I will put aside my frustrations. And I'm sorry to say, you guys frustrate me some days too. <laughs> but I'm going I'm to put that aside because it's not about me. It's about Christ, the head of the church and the church he's building. It's not about statuses and who gets to do this and who gets to do that. My question to someone who gets frustrated with a church is, are you part of the church or are you not? And if the answer is I'm part of the church, it's like, well, your criticism is actually to yourself because you are the church. So are you, are you working towards correcting that thing that you see that's not in the church, that's not healthy? Are you part of the solution or are you just part of the problem? And a lot of the times people wait, wait for leaders and, and wait for, you know, someone from these apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. When are they going to tell me, you know, the right thing? The word equip is actually like the word furnish. So if you go into an office place and it's furnished, it's ready to be used. Those, those people who are equipping aren't doing the work. They're putting the furniture in for us to do the work. It's it's our church. Christ is ahead and we are the church. And so I got to the point of going, it's mine to own. I have been given this mandate. I'll get up every Sunday if that's what it takes. If there's a chair that needs to be put out, if there's someone that needs prayer, if there's whatever God wants wants me to use to do, I'll do it. And people have said, I don't know, why do, you, why do you choose to do so much? Where else is there to go? What are we sowing into? If we're not sowing into people's lives, if we're not building the body so that the body can be a light to the world, what else is there to do on earth? There's no point. There's no point earning money that's going to that's go to waste if, 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 I, if I can't... Use what I've got and what God's given me to sow. And so I don't stand up here with the answers. I guess I stand up here with that conviction that God's given me. And if we want to thrive this year, we're not thriving as individuals, we're not thriving as family groups. Because when you're suffering, I'm suffering. If we're the body of Christ, if you're, if you're struggling with something, then I'm struggling with something. If we're in disunity, then there's disunity. And when I look at this picture, of the, that, that picture of wanting to be um, mature, wanting to be not thrown, tossed back and forth, that's something you can't do on your own. Sure, you can download YouTube clips to, to get a good word. Um, but we were, never, we were never designed to live in isolation. And the church is that, is that canvas that God is painting. And that is the mandate I feel he's given me. And I think he's given everybody in the church that mandate. The place I had to start with, a place of repentance, of realizing that I was pulling down what God was growing. Paul... And this is why I used that road to Damascus, not that I think my experience was anything like his. But Paul thought he was honouring God by persecuting the church. He thought he was doing the right thing and he was doing it passionately. And in myself, my, my pride and my, um, my own wisdom, I thought by, by bagging the church I was actually doing God something good pointing out where everyone was wrong and God was right. And I was actually pulling down what he was building in my heart. I was pulling down in my heart what he was trying to build. And so the first place I had to get to was a place of acknowledging, acknowledging that wrong way attitude that I had. And as I said, I was so glad he's got big shoulders to, uh, to listen to my rant and rave and patiently patiently just let that all get off my chest and then graciously take me on a journey. And he does that so amazingly. He was so gracious to me. He's so gentle. And I deserved to kick in the backside. He just carried me through. Loved on me. In a way that only he can do. because I'm part of his bride and he demonstrated in my weakness his love for the bride and i don't know about you but that's something worth thanking him for that's something worth dedicating my life to lord we just thank you so much that not only did you come and you die and you raise again as an amazing show of power and of of grace and of mercy. But you said, I will build my church. Lord, we're sorry for trying to take your church off you. We're sorry for for trying to do things our own way, Lord God trying to pull down what you're building, Lord. We thank you so much that you made that choice. Not because we always understand, not because it always makes sense to us, Lord God, but because we know your ways are higher than our ways. And we've seen that in our own lives, Lord God. I know when I try to walk my own way, Lord God, it makes no sense compared to walking your, your path, your journey. And Lord, I just thank you so much that you made that choice. You made that choice to build your church. I thank you first because I'm the fruit of that choice. I'm secondly, because that choice is, has continued to build and to grow and to show your love on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you so much, Father, for making that choice for each and every one of us. And Lord, we drink this cup today in unity. In saying, Lord, in one accord, that we drink that body of Christ, that blood of Christ. That we choose together to be that bride. We choose together to accept your grace and your mercy to accept the price you paid for us.